What is going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and my co-host, Canucks Insider, Thomas Trance, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We are back in studio, not on location at UBC for Canucks Dev Camp because uh, they're not getting going until the scrimmage later tonight at 6 o'clock. And you can get tickets, uh, I believe, by making a small donation at the Canucks website um, uh, to a charitable cause. So you can go and you can come out and check out the scrimmage at 6 tonight, uh, wrapping up development camp and a chance to see Tom Willander, who I know a lot of people will be interested to watch. I got to say, Willander obviously stands out to me as someone I'm curious to see. The other guy, and we've barely talked about him in the context of Dev Camp this week, but is Jonathan LeCaramacchi. Yeah. Right? The other high-profile first-round pick at this tra- Dev Camp. And him getting back on track, and I know he finished the season strong, but him getting back to the type of trajectory he was on in his draft year, I think we've almost... And this is probably fair that we've lowered our expectations given what went for him, but... That could be a huge deal for this team and a prospect pool that still needs guys who have a high ceiling to hit. And I'm really excited to see what he looks like in this game tonight. For sure, especially because Danila Klimovich has graduated based off of his professional experience with the Abbotsford Canucks. So, you know, I mean, you have what, one or sorry, three third round picks, four third round picks and two firsts, right? I mean, it's not a loaded class of players from a prospect sort of system Mm -hmm. standpoint and it's hard it's a hard environment to evaluate players like if you're planning to make a donation and go to the game tonight one thing I'd caution you on is not to overreact too much one way or the other to how the scrimmage goes you know if you're Tom Villander and you're 18 you know you're you're going to be on the ice with some like 21 year old top NCAA free agents who aren't even Canucks property and went undrafted Mm -hmm. you know two times uh, or a 25-year-old like Akito Hirose who's had meaningful NHL experience, you know, you sort of go up and down, and it's not fair to pin, like, a lot of hopes and dreams on the performance of a, of a Canucks player in a development camp scrimmage. Uh, but but you can see some skills. I mean, it's not useless from an evaluation perspective, but let me just put it this way. You know, I missed Dev Camp last year mm-hmm. because I... <laughs> COVID. Yeah, you were in Montreal. <laughs> I was stuck in Montreal. The draft, travel and the draft, getting back from the draft has not been good for you the, the last there, couple of years. There have been some internal jokes with The Athletic that's like, you just use this to get an extended vacation. <laughs> <laughs> and I wish, especially like in Montreal. And yeah, in Nashville. Uh, Would have been great. I mean, if I was like that smart, that would be amazing, but I'm not. And then, but I've seen guys pop in a dev camp scrimmage. I, when, when we were, when I was with the Panthers, Sean Dursey like dominated, dominated as a training camp invite following the year, his first time draft eligible season when he was undrafted. He dominated the training camp scrimmage, and obviously that mattered. He went in the Mm. second round the next year, was point per game plus, and quickly graduated and became an NHL player. Worth a second round pick, like four years on. But I also saw a guy named Max Gildon just completely crush it, like best player on the ice. And I I think he was non-tendered by the Panthers, and he's like 22, 6'4", um, left-handed defenseman. So, 
you know, what, what, what does it say if you're getting non-tendered with those dimensions and, right. and real offensive skills? So it, it might matter, it might not. Um, I wouldn't overreact one way or the other to what you see on the ice if you're going, and, and we'll do the same. What, what we see on the ice, you know, we'll talk about it tomorrow, but don't expect some great insight into a, a player's future based no. on their performance in dev camp. More than anything, it's an opportunity for them to make an impression on Canucks management and, and sort of demonstrate to where they're at. It, it's it's all fun. It, you know, they, these are all people in the same organization. It's really a glorified scrimmage to cap off a week and, and put a little bit of like, you know, the, the competitive spirit you need in hockey into the proceedings. Yeah, it's a curiosity more than anything else, yeah. right? And a chance to see maybe some individual skills pop, right? Like Will Anders skating or if Lecar Mackey can snipe a shot or something like that. And you enjoy that. But again, you don't you don't extrapolate too far no. from what it means for them uh, as a prospect. Except, I mean, by except the way, when Christian Fitzgerald dominates, I'm going to be like, Christian <laughs> Fitzgerald, sign that man. Get him and, signed next year. And Yoni Yermo. Oh, my goodness. It. Wow. Uh, by the way, it's a donation to the Canucks for Kids Fund. You make Perfect. a small donation, you get tickets to the scrimmage out at UBC tonight. So make sure you check that out. Uh, and speaking of guys who are at the prospect development camp just a little bit of news on Victor Ulrikson who is one of the fourth round picks for the Canucks this year of course playing in the junior league in Sweden he was drafted in the CHL import draft by the Guelph Storm now I haven't this is always one of those interesting things where a lot of the times the CHL teams take a player that they know for sure is going to come over and they have a pre-established relationship with the agent. Certainly that's the case with the Giants who took somebody who's repped by Sam Honzik's uh, right. agency, right? So you, you understand there's a relationship there and they can probably get him over. Other times it's more speculative, right? And you don't know if the player's actually going to be in the CHL. I haven't seen like any Like the reporting. Vancouver Giants and LeCarrie Absolutely, right? Which I think they even made that pick before he was drafted by the Canucks. Right. So it was just kind of coincidence. And then obviously he did not come over. Uh, to play with Ulrichson, I haven't seen any reporting one way or another what situation it is, but it is an interesting, at least, development for him and a, a potential that he could be coming over to play uh, in Major Junior in Canada next year. Yeah, and an interesting one because Scott Walker, of course, has the Guelph Storm connection, mm -hmm. former Canucks player and assistant coach Scott Walker, um, is the president was the former owner i believe of the guelph storm organization and and it's guelph that has selected Ulrichson. interestingly walker was at canucks dev camp on tuesday just hanging around watching the sessions so you know don't underrate too like there are obviously picks that you will see in a ex sort of um chl import draft like when barry selects andre svechnikov first overall yeah they kind of have a sense that hey we're gonna get this guy and he's gonna kill it for us and yep. it's gonna be awesome right moose heads with philip zadina right there there are players who teams have a good sense will come over in advance and it's buttoned up and then there are sometimes situations where personal relationships can matter late in the game and dev camp's a really interesting environment for this because you know the Canucks have obviously scouted Ulrichson. They obviously had a chance to interview him if they targeted him so far above industry consensus mm -hmm. in the fourth round the way they did. There, there's obviously some basis to, to know who the, who the player is. But when you really sit down and talk about their game and get a chance to spend time with them, right, sometimes something can come up like, hey, I'd be willing to play in North America. Right. And then you start thinking about it. And you're like, okay, this six foot six winger, an absolute toolsy project, right, um, 
wouldn't it be beneficial? Like, if he's going to make it to the NHL, what does he have to do? He has to play physically, right? Does it help to come over and play a North American style of game, given the, the probable route for Ulrichson in actually cracking an NHL or even an NHL lineup down the line? Is it useful to have him? And, you know, you start having those conversations. He's like, I'd be open to it. And it's like, well, we didn't know that. And then, you know, you have a personal connection or a Scott Walker happens to be in town. Let's invite him out. Right. I mean, honestly, it can be that um, sort of relationship based and spur of the moment. Right. And and I remember. So this is another Panthers story. I'm hitting my quota early in the show today. <laughs> hey, we've only got three more shows left for the year. There so get go. them all out. <laughs> So, uh, so 2017 CHL import draft, uh, the Panthers had a defenseman named Linus Nassen, who's actually like a childhood buddy of Elias Pettersson's. They're both Sunsfall kids. And he was, you know, a lefty fifth round defenseman, really, really promising scoring profile that ultimately mm-hmm. didn't make it to the NHL. Um, but you know, is, is still a good pro, right? Like he's had a f- totally fine sure. career in Sweden. Um, just didn't sort of pop, um, in the AHL or in the CHL for that matter and comes out to his first dev camp and they're talking about, Hey, you know, you're a physical guy, like da da da. And he's indicates a willingness to go play in the CHL if he were selected in the import draft, but the import draft was that day. And in fact was well underway. (laughs) Um, Like it was the second round. And I don't know if you've ever looked over CHL import drafts, but a lot of teams just don't pay. They pass. Yeah. Yeah. No selection, no no selection, no selection. Yeah. And, so the second round is like going and speeding along as teams aren't making picks. And there's like his agent on the line, a bunch of hockey operations personnel, a coach who had ties to the C- CHL teams. And everyone's just calling just all their contacts. The phones. Working the phones like, no, sorry, we have two European players. Like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> and with the second to last pick of the 2017 uh, CHL expansion draft. Linus Nassen was selected by the Medicine Hat Tigers. A, a furious twenty minutes Fantastic. of Dev Camp work um, paid off. So, just to give you a sense of how the sausage gets made, yep. sometimes, right? The 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 Guelph connection and the fact that Walker was at practice. It's possible that the Canucks didn't think he'd be available, and then they invited Walker, or he was already due to be here, or, or what have you. But it's also possible that this came together like yesterday evening yes. over a glass of red wine. Yeah, and and that's sort of sometimes how these things can work. Yeah, well, I mean, that's fascinating. And the the connections between Guelph and the Canucks are really good to keep in mind here as we handicap how likely it is that he comes over to the OHL next year. I mean, I hope he does, as you, you, you were mentioning the development reasons. It's also just so much easier, I always find, anyways, this is purely selfish. It's so much easier to put a prospect's performance in context, I find, in the CHL, right? There's less mystery attached to it, for me, anyways, than when they're overseas. Really? Like, I have a very good idea of what a draft, a good draft plus one season looks like in the OHL more so than I do when they're bouncing around between junior and the second division or whatever in Sweden. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, so the, I think the thing you just need to like process in doing that, cause I, I see what you're saying. You're right. In that, you know, like it's just easier shorthand. You, for me. you at you least I mean? need a point per exactly. game as a draft yeah. plus one. Yeah, yeah. That's an easy shorthand. Whereas in the SHL, right. It's like, if you're, a draft plus one player who's like a regular and plays eight minutes a game. It's like, wow, exactly. Unreal. Yeah. 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 They didn't send him down. He played in the playoffs. Yeah. It's like, guys, he had four goals. You're like, whoa, (laughs) 
<laughs> those are some very great promising. Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. Okay, I see what you're saying. That makes sense. The yeah. the one that's really hard is though is Russia. Oh, that's uh, yeah, like impossible. Especially yeah. because the players who are most committed to coming over get held down. Yeah. Right. Like the whole model is designed to like discourage kids from leaving before you've mined their best years in their early 20s, right? So a player like Vasily Podkolzin, it's like, he's not getting opportunity in the KHL. And it's like, yeah, because he wants to play in the NHL. Yeah, because he wants to get out of there. Yeah, if he was willing to stay in Russia, he'd be, you know, getting prime opportunity in the in the SCA system. So it's it's a really that that one to me is a yes. complete black box. Oh yeah, absolutely. And again, that's purely selfish. I'm not saying it's therefore better for him for his development to come over to the I, OHL. It's just better for me. I, I, the I protagonist do, of reality. I, I, <laughs> the main character. <laughs> I, I do think I do think for him though, given his particular size the fact that he hasn't scored a ton like this guy's not likely to emerge in the nhl as and look i hope i'm wrong i mean there's always outliers right but but you know this guy's probably not going to emerge in the nhl as like a power play specialist on the half wall (laughs) you know no i mean no maybe maybe he eventually gets there in terms like you know deflections and net front work and the six foot six frame and and on and on but it's like this guy's gonna have to be a disruptive wall guy if he's going to be an NHL player down the line, most likely. And you know where you spend a lot more time on the wall? On the smaller ice sheet. I I mean, straight up, it's bumper car hockey as opposed to the possession game that they play in Europe. It's it's a totally different thing. I I think the CHL environments are a really good call, in particular for a player with his skill set. Minor Matt in Abbotsford, Texan. How did Yulevi do in his development camp if Volander doesn't blow his performance out of the water tonight? Look out. I'm going to go postal on these airwaves. He says, haha. Seriously, though, I hope everyone has a good time tonight. Minor Matt in Abbotsford is putting a lot of weight on on Tom Volander's performance tonight. I mean, the thing I remember about Yulevi, because I don't think the Canucks did dev camp back then when they drafted Yulevi. Mm -hmm. But I remember seeing him in Abbotsford that very first time in Abbotsford. And you'll remember three Finnish players were all drafted in the top five in that class, yes. right? Because Lion A and Pugliarvi and all of them were in Abbotsford. So I think I wrote a thing about like this golden generation of Finnish hockey players pretending they were from Vancouver. Um, no, I'm kidding. And uh, and I I do remember with Yolevi, it was like he did all the quiet stuff well, mm-hmm. but he didn't stand out. And, and there was a lot of conversation that was like, well, when he gets on the ice with better players, with pros, right, that's when this will translate. And that's sort of now a line that I'm always really skeptical about. Like, whenever someone's like, he's act- his game actually is a better fit for the NHL yeah. than the AHL. It's like, no, that's not a thing. Yeah, I don't know about that. That's, uh, <laughs> that's a little concerning. So did you, see, and, and, did you see that tweet that's going viral on NBA Twitter? Probably. What was it? <laughs> You're going to have to be more specific than that. So there's this tweet from Legion Hoops. All right. Okay. And it says, would you rather be given a million up front or a chance oh, at 20 million? Yeah. No, 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 no. It's if a- you score more than 15 points in an NBA okay. game, four, you get the full 48 yeah. minutes. Normally those questions are like, you know, uh, can you ru- can you pick up a first down in the NFL or something with a bunch of, with like on four rushing attempts or something? No chance. 15 points is a huge bar. Huge like, bar. Like if, a, if, a, if, a, <laughs> if the third starter on a team scores 16 points, that's like a good night for them. Totally. 15 points, it's like, that's an insane bar to set in an <laughs> NBA game. That's a good night at the office for like 
eight-year vets on $20 million deals. Not just forget about some random scrub off the street. So the answer is clearly you take the million because you have zero chance at okay. make scoring 15 points. Okay, I actually want to get into this if you're okay, okay with it. Okay, let's do it. How little money up front would you have to be offered before you would go for 20? Oh. It honestly, like, if it was like $10,000, I'd be like, I'm taking the $10,000. Yeah. I'd rather have a 100% chance at 10,000 so, than a 0% chance at 20 million. I thought about this at length and I decided that 50k is my walk away, not because of the probability. Like I rate the chances of me doing that at 1 in 100,000, which mathematically would say take $1,000. Sure. Yeah. But I would place a certain monetary value on having the chance to play an NBA game. <laughs> that would be a cool experience. That would be pretty sweet. Like, it's not like I can pay 50K for that. That's a good so, point. So my walkway, I've, I've spent a lot of time, I really spend a lot of time thinking about this. I also think, like, for me, you know, I like playing basketball, but it's like, I can dribble a bit and I can use my width to get, like, shots inside over people. <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah, which you're I not, definitely cannot yeah, I was do against say, an you're NBA not player. Getting a lot of shots up on the inside in well, the NBA, <laughs> and I'm pretty like I'm pretty confident in an NBA environment. I would be only able to dribble or complete a pass based on luck. Yes, like it would be yes. lucky were I to complete a short pass in an NBA environment. Now I will say, okay, and I'm not saying that I would do it, right? Because I can still think shoot? the possibility is zero. Uh, can you hit a jump shot? Yeah, I can hit a jump shot, but. There is, a, there is a certain amount of game theory to this, right? Because this is what I wanted okay, to get into. Because let's say, so you're on the whole 48 minutes. So first of all, you got to get your team involved on the same page, right? So whether that's paying them exactly off right. or whatever. Now, the other part of it is. No, but uh, do they do they care about the result? Yeah. Is it a regular season game? Is it an exhibition game? Yeah. And <laughs> if you fail, what does the opposition get? Yeah, okay, because here's the thing. Let's say the other team is just all they care about is winning the game. It's actually to their advantage to not to pay let, any to, attention to you whatsoever. To let you shoot. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you're you're just gonna stand there and take fifty three pointers, go nuts. We're gonna box out and get the rebound every time you miss. Yeah. So and then can you go can you go five for fifty from three? Well, six. Wide open. Six, yeah. Because <laughs> I mean you'd have to I guess sorry, score more than sixteen. So it's fifteen point five. Yeah. So you need to go five for 50. Yeah, okay, so you're right. I think that's exactly right. The incentives matter, and partly because I don't think that I could do anything in an NBA game. But if four NBA players sold out for the purpose of yes. just creating open looks for me, I think I'd get open looks. I don't think I'm a good enough jump shooter. Like, I still don't think I'd hit five for 50, to be yeah, totally no, honest I would, with you. And, and, and the thing is, I also think there's a certain amount of, like, competitiveness in NBA guys that – they would be like, well, I can defend the other four dudes and then also still make it out here to swat this guy's shot yeah. and make him look like an idiot. You Fun know what I mean? And that's what they would do. Fundamentally, I think the money up front has to be low enough that you're willing to be like, that's an experience I want, and I'm willing to forfeit 50K or whatever it is yeah. to have that experience. Alan Calgary says, guys, you're not scoring with an NBA-level closeout. Six, seven dude going to block your shot to the fifth row. You're 100% right. That's why I said the only way it happens is if they are like, Straight up, we're not even going to try to close you out. That's how little we care about you, right? We're not. We're just going to stand and watch because we don't think you're going to hit the shot. Well, but are they going to get everyone? Yes, I'm expecting if trying to. I'm they expecting are. to get pretty open. <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> what do you mean, good luck with that? Anyways, why did we bring this up again? Even if you are open, I don't have the most confidence in you hitting that. No, no, you shouldn't. I can't. I can't shoot jumpers, but I know some guys who I think could do it if 
the incentives were set up a certain way. I, I, it's yeah. not me. If you were guaranteeing your teammates, like again, and the, we're talking about like, like five guys million. who are really, five million. really good. If you're guaranteeing your teammates a cut of the pie, you know what I mean? And, 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 and all of these other incentives are right. There are certain people who could do it who played at a relatively high level. Okay, one more thing. All right. <laughs> I have no idea how we got onto this. Can I foul out? It. Do you think I can foul out? Uh, yeah. I, I think the rules apply to you. I don't think so. You're guaranteed 48 minutes. It's no, but 48 that's a, minutes played. That's a coaching decision. That's not a bending the rules. I think I I think it's implied that I can't foul out. So in addition to this, I can make every possession like I can foul. We can we can get in the bonus with me right away, and then every time the opposition touches the ball, I can foul. And then while they're so shooting in- free throws, you, you I stand <laughs> under the net. Okay, see, I. Rance, how's your cardio these days? <laughs> oh, dude, I cannot play 48 minutes in an NHL in an NBA environment. No question. I, I mean, you'd have to do it in the first quarter. <laughs> Look again. I'm not talking about me. I'm just saying. I I think depending on the incentives, that if you're if you're a good enough jump shooter and at least like six two. I think I think it's worth at least figuring out how the rest of the rules work. Uh, Rager texts in, if Ben Simmons can do it, so can Drance. When was the last time Ben Simmons scored 16 points in an NBA game? You have to be, you have to be willing Sorry. to shoot the ball at a certain yeah, point. I, well, uh, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying you have to be able to shoot. Yeah. Like, you have to be a reliable enough shooter to even attempt it, in my view. Unless um, you just want to have fun and, like, look like a moron for 48 minutes. Which, you know. And then, be, sure. and then, and then, as Elon quite rightly points out, and then be tugging on your gym shorts about five minutes in. <laughs> um, what would the NHL equivalent of that question? Oh my be? goodness! Well, fifteen points. It's like it's like, could you score a goal in yeah. a game on the power play? But you get sixty minutes of power play time in the uh, bumper spot yes. with Miller, Hughes, Pedersen, and and Kuzmenko around you. See, the thing is, you would just get absolutely annihilated by NHL defenders. And again, you talk about like the competitiveness trigger being switched. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're like, this guy's on the ice with us. Like you want to be out there on the ice with like Adam Larson or, you know, Victor Hedman or like who defending you or whoever choose your big physical defenseman. I think the, I th- cr- the first cross check to the back, that would be like a love tap for them would actually have us all just lying splayed out on the ice. That's zero chance. Plus, you'd be crying from all the fantasy camp insults. You'd be, like, so upset from all the chirping. And then, yeah, no, I mean, no chance. That The level of – I talk about this a lot. The level of control that pro athletes have, like, I, I don't even think you could get close to where you thought in your mind. Like, if I position myself here, I don't even think you could get oh, close. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, they'd box you out. They'd, Zero I mean, percent chance. They're so – they're on such a different level. Yeah. Then and and like they're on such a different level even than, you know, guys who've played in the in the ECHL. Like we see it at training camp, you know what I mean? Like yep. you you can actually see pro players in an NHL environment, and it's like yeah. I mean, think about all the hockey you watch. Yeah. Think about how long it takes you to tell whether a guy has it or not. Not not a long time. Now imagine that how much better that guy is than you, because mm-hmm. it's like <laughs> exponentially better than uh, Alan Calgary says can you make 20 saves in an NHL game if you face 50 shots against that would be the equivalent question and again Ooh. zero zero chance zero chance no unless you have like major junior or at least junior a goalie experience zero chance you're making 20 saves like I don't think I don't even think Laddie could do it no 
I don't even think Woodley could do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, probably not. It's incredibly difficult. I don't even think Cheech could do it. Uh, <laughs> man, you just keep taking shots at Cheech, huh? No, I'm just saying. <laughs> I was like leveling up on the media goaltending scale, right? It's like Laddie, then Woodley, then the guy who actually played NHL games. There you go. Um, Tyler says, is the hardest task in all of sports hitting a 20-yard field goal? No, the, the, these questions come up for various different sports, and one of them that comes up is like, could you hit a um, – a Jacob deGrom fastball? No. The yeah, answer for that no. is 0%. 0%. 0%. Like, I think you would not even be cognizant of it going past you and into the catcher's mitt. You'd be like, wait, what? That already <laughs> happened? The ball went past me? Like, 0% chance. I mean, all of all of this. Like, there's no, there's no professional sport where you would look. And honestly, I do think, like, there's a famous viral tweet about the olympics which is like before every event they should have a complete norm yeah, just yeah try it yeah. so that we understand how hard it is so we know the context of it <laughs> so we have, so we really have that tactile sense of how impressive it is um, uh, but yeah i mean yeah. it would be funny uh this text comes in this is quality off-season sports radio how did you two transition from reminiscing about you to this i don't know but i enjoyed it <laughs> good way to spend some time <laughs> i'm glad we did uh anyways uh up next, one of our favorites here on the show. It is our last week of the show, so we're going to have some of our favorite guests through over the next couple of days uh, to do a little sign-off before the summer. Sean Gentili of The Athletic. Uh, we got to put some of these to Sean. He'll be game. Yeah, you're it, right. Right. So we'll, right. we'll get into some of this with Sean, but also some actual NHL stuff uh, with our guy Sean Gentili here on Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance, live from the Kintech Studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. Sean Gentilly going to join us momentarily. Uh, we're having a great conversation here about various sports tasks that regular people would fail miserably at. Uh, Alan Calgary says, ooh, I got one. Can you hit an Alec Manoa pitch in his current form? He says, I'm going to go yard on him, JK. Hey, I'll have you know, he had an encouraging performance at Double A, Al. How dare you? Is he starting tonight? He's starting Friday, I believe. Okay. Yeah, so that's going to be fun. Uh, anyways, joining Tig us. Tiger's money line, baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, joining us to talk a little NHL offseason uh, and also probably just some, some more ridiculousness. He is our guy, Sean Gentili of The Athletic. Sean, what's going on, man? Do you guys have people saying that they could hit actual... No, I know, I've, no, or, or otherwise. Fortunately, like, I think everyone is on board with us. So Drance brought this up. There's like a viral tweet going around the NBA Twitter yeah. sphere right now. Bait, you know, would you take a million dollars or the chance at twenty million dollars if you could play a full forty-eight and score fifteen points in an NBA game? And my point was like, usually these prompts are, could you score a basket? Fifteen points yeah. is like good. That's like a good night for a really good player I, in the NBA. It, it literally zero uh, percent of the population who's who's saying they could do it could do it. <laughs> like it's mathematical zero point zero. It would never happen. Well, we were stretching the, the fun one. We were stretching like the, the logic of it. Me. Like Sean, Sean, like, mm -hmm. like uh, it says in the tweet, forty-eight. You get forty-eight minutes. Does that mean you're exempt from fouling out? Probably like, it, it, but none of that matters. Like you, you can set whatever terms you want. It's yeah. like not happening. Yeah. Drance seems to one think that like always, his ability yeah. to foul is like a magic wand for this. And I, I don't well, really see it, how it plays out. Because every like possession the opponent gets lasts three seconds. I'm fouling every time. 
Like I'm just hugging a guy. The only, the only way the only <laughs> way it works is if they is if they understand that you're just a complete non-factor, so they just leave you alone. Right, and okay. you and you knock down a couple because they're just like this is fine. We're good. We're gonna leave. We're gonna leave Drancer alone in the corner, well, like for the entire and game. provided the stakes. Like I couldn't do it, but could a good shooter who's at least six three, so not gonna get blocked on every single closeout. Um, could a good shooter who's at least six three go what five uh, six six four fifty five on completely <laughs> open jumpers. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm like I'm saying flat out no, like this isn't happening. So if you were, if you had to like accomplish a task in an NHL game with twenty million dollars on the line, I, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing for you, like for me, the answer is nothing. But if you had to choose something in an NHL game, what do you think you could get done, or even come close like, to doing? Yeah, like register a hit. Well, in some of the arenas, it doesn't take much, right? As long as you're playing for the home team, just brush up against yeah. the guy. <laughs> is that now? Is that coming because I uh, because I work in Pittsburgh and sit in front of the the, the real time stats crew and know exactly what passes for hit in Pittsburgh? Sometimes. <laughs> See, I think I think the right answer is be the backup goalie in a game in which the starter does not get hurt and also plays well. I think I think that's something you think you could sit there in pads. I think I could. Well, I, I'd, I'd need help putting them on. <laughs> I don't know if I could do that. Yeah, like like if I like could I put could I put on uh, goalie pads? The question is really, could you avoid an injury in warm up when the when your team is shooting at oh, you? Oh yeah, no. I could, could you avoid an injury in warm up in that no. scenario? I don't know. Dude, I I'm 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 pulling something at this point. Like I'm I'm 37. I'm like physically falling apart. Like this isn't this is this isn't good. All uh, right, we uh, that was fantastic. We'll get into uh, NHL actual NHL stuff. The reason we had you on originally, Sean. Uh, so you know we've had a, a chance for the dust to settle on free agency a little bit. Uh, I don't know if we'll do a full round of winners and losers here, but uh, do you have a team that you think? really improved, really did well in the free agent frenzy this year? I think like every, I feel like every team kind of comes with caveats, right? Like mm. I do like what the Leafs, I do like what the Leafs did, but then it's like a lot of term, they over, overpaid on Reeves. Like there's always these like asterisks next to, next to uh, the successful teams. And then also like, I don't know, like what happens if, if the Red Wings reeling to brink it or if there's, I don't know, like, like there's like, there's enough, I feel like there's enough outstanding issues now where I'm like still sort of, that sounds lame, but I'm still sort of, you know, sketch on actually, on actually picking winners and losers. I don't think anybody did particularly well. New Jersey, Carolina. Like, I'm going to throw those names at you. New Jersey, Carolina. New, I'll, Jersey's, I, I should have said Jersey. I forgot that. But like we need like Carolina's whatever they're a work in progress still. Like I, I don't I don't know what they're gonna look like in in a mm. few days. Obviously the the Tarasenko thing seems like a moving target. I don't think the Carlson stuff is necessarily, you know, so that's not done yet. We like I, I think it's still possible that something happens there. So yeah, I, I like what they've done so far, but you know, again, asterisks, like, like there's still a couple big pieces that need to, that need to shake loose. I realize that's a total cop out answer, but like, I, I, I'm just kind of gun shy right now. No, I think it's fair because this was such an odd market in so many ways. Like it was an odd trade yep. market 
leading up to the draft. It was an odd draft with very few trades. And then it was an odd free mm-hmm. agency period. And and in part, it felt like no one was willing to pay the price to improve, if that makes sense, especially yep. given the logic of the, of the hard cap. Do you think that's what shaped all this? Completely. I think, I think the trade stuff was, you know, gassed up to some extent. And I think people were filling in gaps because they're like, all right, well, the UFA class isn't very good. Uh, teams are going to want to do something, right? They're going to want to make moves and get better, right? So what's going to happen? So like, we're going to get a ton of trades, right? Right? Sure. And that's like, not, that's not really what came to pass. We're talking about, you know, we're talking about the Matt Duchesne buyout being the biggest move, you know, the biggest non-signing move of, 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 the last, of, the, of the last week or whatever. So yeah, it is, it's, it's a wild, it's a wild situation for sure. Like the, the teams that I, the teams, I guess we we didn't have any overhauls. We didn't have anybody go out and add like, you know, three or four, like no doubt way to go pieces, even though there were teams that were more active. So the ones that I look at as winners are all sort of like one, like one move that you kind of like, and then that was it. Right. I like what the stars did. I like that the Rangers got Blake Wheeler for, Mm. for essentially nothing, but those are like, those are boring. They're just like one player adds the teams that are already good. So yeah, like those are winners, but you know, grading on the curve of what winners look like maybe in the past, it's, it's nothing impressive. Were there any trends that you saw form on the market, whether on the trade market or in free agency that surprised you in any way or the, or that felt notable to you in any way? I, you know what? I think some we talked to we de- the three of us definitely talked about this before, where we're like tall defensemen are going to get a gazillion dollars, mm. and that's like it sort of happened, but not really. Like yeah, Ryan like like Ryan Graves got a ton of years from from Pittsburgh, but not a ton of money. Scott Mayfield sticks with the Islanders. I think that was that was like one of the easy one of the easy sets of dots to connect heading into UFA right cuz you're like people watch Vegas they got the, they got the big boys running around and making a difference everyone's going to try to you know come up with their own version of that and we we saw it to some extent but not like the crazy overpay you know someone throws five and a half million at it it at Ryan Graves for example like like we thought it might have been so all the trends that I saw I feel like were just sort of on the downside of stuff where you're like, all right, we thought this was going to happen. And then it, it didn't, which it, which does not make for compelling content. It didn't make, it hasn't made for compelling stuff to write or talk about, honestly, because it's like, Oh, this, we thought this, you know, thing a was going to happen and then it didn't come to pass. So that feels like the trend. Mm. L- let me give you one and get your reaction to it. The fact that all the cap space was owned by teams that have very little interest in actually winning Mm-hmm. meant that the teams or the player type that actually was best rewarded on the market was good dudes. Good dudes, yep. Alex Kalorn, Radko Gudis, Luke Shen, Ryan O'Reilly, Nick Felino, and who was the other guy they signed? Corey Perry. That's well, a good one. Corey Perry with an asterisk. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, it, it felt like, it feels like there was almost this sense in the market with where, with no one willing to spend to improve, right? And mm-hmm. the only teams with the ability to improve being teams that are only kind of interested in even doing that. Um, if you weren't the best in terms of mm-hmm. how you carry yourself and practice and deal with the media and, and sort of lead effectively, um, you were limiting your market. Yep. What do you think that says about where the game's at? 
I like it. I, I like that as a, I like that as a trend. Um, I think we're just, I, I also think like part of it is like new GMs that were in place that clearly value that sort of stuff. Right. I know like Brad Trill, mm. I think he is huge on that. I think he saw, he also saw stuff go sideways on him in Calgary last year. So, you know, it's it, maybe he's a guy who looks, who looks at it, it, you know, the job that he had to do and, and say like, all right, I, I need to, I need to build this team with a little bit more, you know, mind paid the the culture than I would have otherwise. Same goes for Barry Trotz. He came out and said it, mm-hmm. you know, like he, he wanted, he put a premium in, on signing guys like Shane and, and, and Ryan O'Reilly because of, you know, the sort of intangible stuff that they bring. So I, I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. Like some of the big movers, like, yes, we saw character guys get signed, but they also were signed by GMs that, you know, put a lot of stock into that. They're, that mm-hmm. are in new spots. Right. So that, so that's a, that's a big thing. And then oh, and one other, one other thing that I feel like, you know, maybe caught my eye was like teams exiting the tank, like teams that they were like, okay, we need to try to not be terrible <laughs> right now. Right. Like you, right. Know, cause you look at the ducks, the ducks spent a bunch of money in the coyotes, like went out and tried to get actual half decent NHL players. They signed, they, they signed Kerfoot, they signed Zucker, you know, the, uh, there were t- teams really ac- across the board. They were like, all right, with the, the Blackhawks, obviously, you know, trying to insulate Bedard with, you know, legitimate NHL players and maybe some decent dudes in the process. So that was, I, I thought that was, and again, this is not an interesting trend. It's but it, but th- this is sort of the carcass that we're picking here, right? It's like <laughs> the, the dregs, the dregs of the league are trying to not be such anymore, which I thought was kind of interesting. Talking to Sean Gentili of the Athletic here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. So I, I try to get out of the habit of calling you know deals for players bad because the players like the mm-hmm. deal, right? But let's say mm-hmm. this: what, what was the most confusing deal from a team perspective handed out uh, in free agency so far to you? I think the first one to come across on on June or on July one that shocked me was uh, was Corpusalo. Mm. <laughs> To the sense that was, was what, what are we okay well, like is this this is what we're doing with the goalie market and it kind of you know filtered down from there you have pittsburgh giving a ton of years and a ton of term to to tristan jari that's a that's a risky move for sure but that's you know so it goes when you're the two you know most pri- outside of freddie anderson re-signing with carolina which i thought was very interesting for only for only two years and not a not a crazy number. Jari and Corpusolo were the were the the one A guys on the market, and and they were paid as such. And I I don't know. I I think I think the the way the the way the goaltender market got set was interesting to me, and honestly, probably detrimental to 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 a handful of teams. Well, it's interesting too because I feel like over the course of the flat cap era, goalies haven't really mm-hmm. necessarily suffered like a lot of the other positions, right? Like they're still getting paid, and even backups now. I think you've seen some salary inflation for them too, and that. It's funny because not only is it happening in a flat cap environment, but also where so many people will tell you, you know, you can't bet big on goaltending, right? Like you can win with Aiden Hill as your goalie if you have a good enough team in front of him. Absolutely, but then and then there's teams like do I, I do I think that Kyle Dubis in a perfect world would have been paying, you know, five and a quarter to Tristan Jari for five years? I don't think so. Everybody wants to. You know, there um, there were certainly teams out there that on that on some level would have loved to adopt the Vegas goaltender by committee style, but it's one thing to do it when it's thrust upon you, which is what Vegas did, right? Because yep. in, in a mm-hmm. perfect world, they would have had Logan Thompson start 55 games and start the playoffs and whatever. They made it work. They found a way. 
like credit to them. But when it when it gets down to brass tacks and you're working in the off season and you're looking at the possibility of you know starting a season with you know four dudes who are okay, <laughs> like <laughs> putting that in practice is something else entirely, right? So that's when you see that's maybe when you see front offices decide to spend big or over overspend a bit on a on a player who's a little bit more proven than maybe like the Laurent Brassois, like Aiden Hill, Logan Thompson, Platter that uh, the that Vegas ended up ended up running through. Interestingly, and and pointed out to me by famous Hart Trophy literalist Seth Rohrbaugh on Twitter <laughs> today. Um, <laughs> sorry, the <laughs> uh, Penguins have four goalies on one ways. Like actually, yeah. Dubas got closest despite <laughs> overcommitting to Jari. In contrast with his decision to wing it with Murray and Samsonov a, a summer ago, um, he actually got closest to doing the Vegas copycat. Which is really funny because he, he took from both, right? He got, right. crazy as it sounds, maybe the, best, maybe the best starter on the market and goes out and adds Nadelkovich and goes out and adds Magnus Helberg, who are like, are they good? <laughs> like, They're, fine. Really, They're fine. But, they, but, but they start, they've started games. And yeah. their and their guys who who were who were good to have in the organization, and that's something that Pittsburgh also just well, really going back a few years now. It was Tristan Jari, and it was Casey DeSmith, and it was mm-hmm. not a lot else. Like I know we had everybody had the the fun you know spicy pork Louis Domingue moment, but the dude you know he was he was an AHL goaltender for a reason. Like that was surprising for a reason. So I think that was. A pressure point that Dubas saw, I think, in, in Pittsburgh's organization was like, all right, we need to actually have, even if these are salaries that we end up stashing in the AHL, like we need to have guys who are legitimate options. So yeah, it, it was, it was kind of like Dubas took from column A and column B for sure with the, with the approach of the goaltending there. Hero RB? Is he playing hero RB with his goalie platoon? <laughs> I can, can you imagine like that's just like that like that being the that being the mindset that we go into NHL team building is like is like the stuff you do for your third fantasy football team just because you want to see if it works the league you don't Let's really go. care about yeah yeah right. you got it's, roped yeah, into no, playing there's, there's no there's no money on the line in this one so I'm gonna give your RB a try and see what happens yeah that's the dubious approach to Pittsburgh. Yeah, that would be fantastic, especially to hear them describe it in those terms would uh, would really be great. Oh, man. Catnip for me. Uh, yeah. Um, one of the teams I wanted to ask you about, and I think we were expecting them to potentially be very busy and it didn't happen. That's one of the you know, one of the things you were talking about earlier is the Calgary Flames. And I'm starting to wonder if they might not even be in a, a more difficult position than we thought, because we understand they, you know, they want to make decisions on all of these pending UFAs. But they're also right up against the cap, and they still need to add bodies to their roster. And as you said, it's so difficult to move salary, even for good players right now, even if they decided they wanted to move on from guys like Hannafin and Backlund and Lindholm, it wouldn't necessarily be easy to get good value on those returns, as good as those players are. That's a brutal situation, because you have the Uriel extension, which like only just kicked in, yep. right? Like This is... This is uh, this is this is not this is bad juju in Calgary for sure. And you have all these players that are that are at different points contractually, um, and I think that's what makes it hard, right? Like you have you have all those guys coming up to UFA, but then you also have the top of the lineup with Huberdo and and uh, and and Kadri being signed to these long term deals. These dudes are in their thirties now, 
and then you have this other crop of UFAs that theoretically you should be able to keep those guys around and have like, you know, an older, an older core, but one that's also capable of maybe winning some relevant games in the West, mm-hmm. but they don't want to be there. Like Hannah, like, you know, I don't, it's not, it's not out of pocket to say that like Michael Backlund and Elias Lindholm and guys like that in a perfect world would rather be playing somewhere else. Like there's a reason that we've heard all this stuff. Right. So Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the, the the mindset there is brutal. I think it all just stems back to what a disastrous season they had there, uh, which has been you know outlined in, in a lot of places, including the Athletic. And you know this is this is the price. This is this is like worst case scenario for them. Like when they signed when they signed the Uberdo extension, when they gave him the Gaudreau money, like you could have seen this coming down the road, but you also explain it away because it's like how bad could things get? <laughs> and we saw how bad things could get, and now here they are. It's a, it's a mess. Sean, you're one of our favorite guests. This is our last week, so I'm going to pull out all the hits. I'm not going to ask you to tear anything. Oh, wow. Well, maybe I will. You know what? <laughs> yes, I will. I, I can graft tears <laughs> onto this question. All right, ready? I'm going to ask oh. you to tear... <laughs> this is the, this is the most on brand question I've ever asked on the radio. I'm oh so my God. excited. I love this. I am going I can't to wait. I am going to ask you to tier best futures bets to win the Pacific oh, Division. Oh, oh my God! You ready? Oh my God! Okay. <laughs> this is this is this earns you the gold star for playing along with my absolute nonsense. All right, Oilers are the favorite at plus two ten. Vegas is second plus two thirty. L.A. Kings plus three eighty. Flames plus six fifty, Kraken nine and a half to one plus nine fifty, Canucks plus thirteen hundred, Sharks plus <laughs> ten thousand, Ducks plus twenty thousand. Are the Sharks that much better okay. than the Ducks? Yeah, twice as good. I, I don't, don't know about, about that. that. I like. I think the top tier for me is is Kings and is Kings and Kraken. I like the value there. Right? Mm. I'll, so I'll, I'll put I'll put them on top. I'll drop Edmonton down to second. Yep. Um. And then everything else kind of falls into place. Like, I mean, the, the sharks are going to be horrific. Don't don't waste your money. There's other there's other cute long shot bets you can dream up other than that. <laughs> um, flames are kind of in the middle. I on how about this? The are the are the Canucks behind the Sharks? Did no, no, no. Odds one Thir- thirteen it, okay. to one versus a hundred okay. to one. Yeah, the Canucks are way ahead of the Sharks. Okay. I was gonna say what 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 a uh, what an indictment. What book, are you, what book are you using? What book are you using? And can, can I get in to throw some money on that? Cause, cause, holy God! Yeah, I think I think the val- the value I like there is is we'll go with Seattle. I I think they could. I think there's some improvements to be made there if it, if you believe in Paneers and you think that maybe Shane Wright can add a little, mm. you know, in his in his second full year. I like they're nine to one. I'm 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 down with that. Yeah, nine and a half to one is way low. Move. Yeah, like way that. below Calgary, really? Yeah, that's weird. That's I d- crazy. Like I like, I, and I'm saying this is somebody who like publicly and everything picked the Calgary Flames to win the Stanley Cup last year. Like <laughs> I like, fool me once, shame on shame on you. Fool me twice, uh, uh-uh, not happening. Don't we're get, we're in that boat again. together. We're in that boat together, my friend. I called them a juggernaut. <laughs> I hear about it occasionally. It's humi- humiliating. <laughs> I, I, I I go and. I go on Haley Salvian's show in, in Calgary a lot, and yeah, it, just, it, it came up, it came up a few times over the course of the season. Let's oh. just say, hey, Sean, we appreciate it, man. It's been a blast having you on throughout the year, and uh, we'll connect again in the fall. Have a great summer. Same to you guys. Love being with you. Enjoy the off season, all that fun stuff, and uh, 
hit you on the other side. Yeah. Well, we'll cheers, my dude. Then. That is Sean Gentili of The Athletic. Uh, being a great sport at the beginning and the end of that interview. Always. Tearing the <laughs> division future odds. He's the best. <laughs> <laughs> I, is it is it too Homer house radio of me to say that I don't hate 13 to 1? 13 to 1 is... That's that's interesting value. It's absolutely... With I mean, a team with Thatcher Demko and Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes? It, like I agree with you, but it's, it's interesting value in that, like cute long shot that you kind of know is more fun well, than yeah, profitable. But it's not the sharks or the ducks. You know what I mean? It's a long it's a fun long shot with high upside that is not a like ridiculous. You know what I mean? It's no. not like nothing like that has ever happened in the NHL. It's like, yeah, no, yeah. That, that could happen. Well I mean the best value in the division I think is Anaheim because there's no way Anaheim's <laughs> twice as bad as San Jose. You know, like so it's like in that context, yes, I like the Canucks at 13 to 1 value. I can see a world but do you really see a world where they finish ahead in the regular season standings of all uh, of it's tough. Seattle, no. LA, Vegas? It's really tough. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, no, you got it. You you got to go in eyes wide open on that bet, knowing I, <laughs> what's going on there. I, I think I think though, when you think about like, okay, if they can defend, right? You're, what you're betting is they continue. At least they continue to score at the top end of the, their lineup. Mm-hmm. Thatcher Demko returns to being mm-hmm. really good. Yep. Not just like good, but like Demko good. And they kill a penalty here and there. They yep. mix in a successful penalty kill. And look, you know, you do that, you do that, you probably have 15 points of improvement, maybe 20 points mm-hmm. of improvement baked in right there. You're also if you maintain You're your also betting base. on regular season Stanley Cup hangover for Vegas, you know, maybe a couple things go wrong, injuries here or there for Edmonton, right? Like you're betting on goaltending. a little, yeah, goaltending, a little bit of downside Seattle. scenarios. Yeah, Seattle maybe, you know, regresses a little bit, some of their key Takes players. Takes a little bit of time for Dubois to fit in. Yeah, exactly, right? You're betting on all that stuff too, I don't like which, it. you know. <laughs> I don't like it. 13 to 1's too rich for my Yeah, life. like, or it's, I think, I, I don't. Like the implied the, probability. The idea that all of those is going to happen. Like one or two of those could happen, but all of them happening is is a bit of a tougher sell. Yeah, I think the uh, – look, the implied probability of 13 to 1, it's 8%. I just don't think the Canucks are 8% likely. So the value is not quite there. Uh, yeah, that's fair. Um, you know, I'd say I'd say something like 4, 5. That, that, I'd, that I'd be – because there's definitely an upside case to be made for, yeah. the, for oh, yeah. Vancouver. Uh, all right. We will continue our conversation. Again, another favorite of ours, Jonathan Wall, former member of the Canucks front office, uh, will join us on the other side, talk a little bit about planning for the offseason, what things look like right now in an NHL front office. That is coming up next here on Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Get smarter when you listen to Hockey Talk, the Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. 
uh, keep your thoughts coming in. We've got some good text, not really about the Canucks, but uh, about various tasks in professional sports that regular people could or could not manage. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. We'll get back into that conversation. Um, I did want to address this. Uh, it's much less serious than I just made it sound using the word address, but somebody texted it in because um, I mentioned this is the last week of the show. Our last show will be on Friday. Uh, what we can expect over the summer and when we're coming back. And they said, are you going to be back for training camp? I don't know if it'll be right on training camp, but either at training camp or before, uh, we will be back in September. And I, can, then... I can promise you I'll push to be back as quickly as possible. Yeah, we will be back in September. <laughs> don't worry. We'll have you covered. Uh, and as for the I'll schedule, miss you guys. As for the 650 schedule over the summer, I'll be I'll take it a couple weeks off, then I'll be on. I would describe the schedule overall as patchwork. I think that's fair to say. So stay tuned for that. We'll, we'll do our best. We'll make it work uh, over the summer. But yeah, last show for us on Friday. All right. Now joining us on the line, uh, a regular contributor here on our show. We love having him on. Longtime former member of the Canucks front office. He is Jonathan Wall. Jonathan, thank you as always. How are you today? My pleasure, guys. I'm doing great. Another beautiful sunny day in the Okanagan. I was going to wager that it was another beautiful day <laughs> up where you are. It's a pretty nice day here as well. So at this time of year, you know, July 5th, we've had the, the free agent frenzy has passed. We're still seeing the odd transaction here or there. But, you know, it's really, really slowed uh, to a grind at this point. How much of a break, how much of a, you know, a chance to exhale do, do NHL front offices get at this point on the calendar? Well, I think it's, it's, it's pretty significant, to be honest. I mean, you get through the draft prep, the draft free agency, and then you jump right into development camp. And it feels like sort of the last day of development camp is kind of the, the first day of summer break a little bit. Um, you, you need that time to regroup. Uh, there's still work to do. Obviously you would be working on, you know, picking up other players. You'd be working on, um, you know, immigration, other things, but really it's a chance to, you know, sort of that time where it, it makes sense to, to get a break a bit. John, what can you tell us about the grind, the logistical grind of, of running a dev camp? Oh, man. I, you know, it's funny, Tom. <laughs> I'm glad, I, no, I'm glad you asked that because I was thinking about, I was watching some of the, the footage from the development camps and thinking of all the elements that we added sort of over the years to build it into what it became. I mean, I remember our first development camp, it was, it, it was me, Mike Hall, and Pete Twist and about four or five players. And we were in like a, a minivan and like stopping at subway for lunch. And we had, you know, we did a hike and we did some other things and it was really bare bones. And then, you know, you look at, at what it's become now and it's a significant, significant event, significant infrastructure or expenditure. And I mean, just, just look at the players involved. I mean, you've got, you know, players from, I don't know, four or five or six different countries. You've got travel, you've got immigration, you've got, accommodation you've got equipment um it is a huge undertaking and all the credit to the people involved because you know it looks really seamless and easy on the ice but there are a lot of people involved making it happen how, how much or how important is dev camp for laying the groundwork for the young stars tournament right and maybe building some relationships and just kind of getting people introduced to the program even before they end up uh, at young stars in penticton in the fall yeah, I mean, the, the dev camp, we've talked about it. The, you know, we always felt, and I think it's still, you know, is the feeling today that, you know, every step, every touch point you have with the players builds that familiarity and builds that allegiance to your organization. So when, when college free agents are, are coming out or draft play, you know, draft eligible free, uh, drafted players are, 
leaving college, you know, like a Jack Rathbone, you know, I look back to, to his first development camp and, you know, some of the interactions that he had. And I just think like, you know, he was a Canuck, like he identified as a Canuck and, and I don't know that the, the, the fear that he wasn't going to sign was realistic. I think he, you know, there was this, from the moment he was drafted, it's just another touch point that you have with the players. And then for the players, it's a great chance to get for them to, to really feel what that next level feels like. Mm. Um, it, it, it's sort of one of those things like you can't know until you feel it, until, you know, you have a guy who's got NHL games or, you know, a guy who's, you know, three or four or five years older than used to playing against when they lean on you. When you feel that, it, it really reinforces how far you have to go. And I think those are the huge takeaways for development camp. I, I don't know that it's ever been a huge evaluative tool. It's not really where you can sort of compare players to one another in terms of where they're going to come out, mm. but it's really just a, a development camp. And I know for a number of years, we, we took a different approach and we basically took a lot of the physicality out of our development camp. We really didn't want players getting hurt mm -hmm. or, you know, even just picking up little knocks in development camp that may set their training back. So we, we took some of that compet competitiveness out of it. But now I see they've kind of got a hybrid model where there is some competition, some battling, see how the players react, but also let them feel that, that strength and, and, and really feel how far they have to come. And, you know, obviously the players are coming to development camp and trying to make an impact and trying to put their best foot forward for the organization. But is there an element of, from the team's perspective, of almost marketing yourself, right? Like showing the players, hey, this is how we do business. This is what you can expect. These are the resources we have available to you. Hundred percent. It absolutely. It's a it's a seven day infomercial for the organization. Um, you know, you want to show, yeah, that this is where you want to play, and it's for your draft eligible players or your drafted players. Sorry, but it's also you know for you know you have a, a college free agent who's going to go back to a school, and they're they're all going to sit around talking about the different development camps, and you're going to want you know that college player to say, man, I would love to play in Vancouver. They were you know first class. And, you know, even, you know, just the swag they give out and, and everything, it just, you really want them to leave there saying, man, I want to play in this organization. And it's one of those sort of off cap spending times when you can really just, you know, really invest a lot into it and really make sure the players have a great experience. John, I'm curious to get your thoughts on what has been a very strange NHL off season all told, right? I, I mean, uh, your theory of 80% of the league is available for free was tested and, and, and found correct prior to the draft. There was nothing yeah. that happened during the draft. And then in free agency, uh, I think it's been a muddle for the most part. How do you make sense of what we've seen big picture? I think it's just a reinforcement of, uh, you know, of teams who are trying to stay flexible. Mm. And I think the other thing that we have to remember is when you look at all the teams that are in, that were in LTI last year at the end of the year, you look at all the teams that have performance bonus overages, that bonus overage compounds when you get into your off season cap. Right. So technically, you know, typically you're allowed a 10% overage, but your 10% overage is now based on your, on, on your, your reduced cap amount. So you actually, instead of getting, you know, 8.3 million overage, you may only have 7.9 million overage. So that money gets shrunk. And if you have free agents that need signing, 
if you're a team that likes to sign a bunch of older players to AHL deals that maybe have played a number of games at the NHL level, or you give out some one-way deals for the American League, all that money gets put into that off-season cap. And you could end up really pinching yourself. So I do think some of the teams are just kind of sitting back and, and waiting to see, you know, who, who flushes out. And then also, you know, there are free agents that are still available, some group twos that weren't qualified. And at some point, you know, they're going to be looking to sign what they can get. So, again, being patient and giving yourself some, you know, some flexibility moving forward, I think, is, is really, really important. Does that does the need for flexibility from teams also, you know, in addition to the flat cap and the lack of uh, salary cap space, make it even harder to move players because teams don't necessarily want to fill up their their contract slots ahead of, as you said, you know, guys who are, are still out on the market or, or who who comes through waivers in the fall. Absolutely. I mean, you look at you know the I don't you know I don't normally speak about players specifically, but I thought it was interesting, you know, that that Zadina went through waivers. Mm. You know, a, a very high prospect, still well regarded, could have had him for free. But it's almost like teams are like, well, we're interested, but we want to, we, we maybe need to send a contract back your way or we got to make, make this work a little bit. So it, it absolutely is just a matter of trying to keep that flexibility and, and keep some space open uh, for, you know, for some potential deals down the road. And, you know, one of the other things we'll turn our attention to now that uh, the UFA portion has, has died down a lot is the various RFA situations around the league. And, I mean, you know well, Canucks fans know well how that process can drag out through the summer, potentially into training camp. How much communication is there typically between a team and an RFA at this point of the year and through July and August? And, I mean, is it really as simple as, you know, the cliche deadlines make deals and there's there's not a lot of incentive to do a deal until you get closer to a deadline? I feel it is. I feel it is. I mean, some players may want that security or their comfort. Other players, you know, aren't in a position to really hold out. But I think, in reality, the, the deadlines make, make the deals, and, and that's why a lot of them happen right at, right at the end. So I think right now there isn't a ton of urgency from either side to really push forward because, again, you've got a lot of time and there's really nothing, you know, you're not really facing a crunch to get it done. So I think, I think when you're looking at maybe missing some of training camp, when you're, you know, when you're a team that's, you know, I know the Canucks, I don't think they have any really high-profile RFAs right now, but if you're a team looking, you know that they need to get a good jump out of the gate this, this October. So if they're a team that's looking at their going, man, we really need this player, the, the pressure may shift from the from the player being pressured to the team being pressured. Because the team knows that we need, you know, they need this player in their lineup on opening night. And all of a sudden, you know, maybe holding to that that number gets a little less of a priority versus just getting that player in the lineup. John, what do you make of the fact that it seemed like no contender was really willing to pay the price? To, to open up cap space. Yeah, you know, Thomas, I'm not too sure what what to make of that. I think, you know, each team, again, sets their priorities. And, and a lot of teams have information that they, you know, the public just doesn't have. Mm-hmm. So they may know that, a, you know, so-and-so is having surgery and he's going to be out. Or, you know, they may have a deal that they can move later on that the team, you know, has to get some other business done first, but they know they're going to look at it. Um, you know, I think, I think teams like to, I remember we used to try to give, you know, when you go into any situation, you like to have a lot of outs to use, I think it's a poker term or whatever, like to have a lot of outs, like a lot of options on how to get, you know, get yourself into compliance. So I think right now teams are just sort of letting the dust settle a little bit and, 
and seeing where all that uh, where all that ends up. Uh, one trend that seemed marked to me, John, was that the guys who really got paid at, at a level maybe above what we would have expected or projected reasonably um, ahead of the opening of a market that I think was a bit of a dud from a player perspective. Um, you know, I, I look at O'Reilly, Shen, Kalorn, Gudis, um, Perry, and Felino, and think, man, really, it was like high character players that seemed to fare the best as a group in July one. Um, what what can we take from that? And do you think it matters going forward, or was it just a reflection of market forces? You know, this time around. Yeah, I think it's a. a uh... I do think it's sort of a, a subject to market forces a bit. I think, you know, when, when you, when you see some of those signings, you do wonder if they are kind of placeholder signings, mm-hmm. you know, the type of players that you know are going to be in high demand at the deadline. Right. Um, I know Shen was a multi-year deal, but if you're looking at guys who signed one year deals and, you know, if you're able to get through, you know, 70% of the season plus a retention you know, you're not looking at a huge acquisition price for the acquiring team, but you're, you know, you're going to get a character player, you know, a Corey Perry or a Felino. like those are, those are guys that generally playoff teams circle around. So I think that's part of it too, is, is maybe, you know, playing a bit of, you know, multi-dimensional chess here where you're thinking a couple steps ahead and saying, okay, like, you know, we, we need players for the season and we need to fill our cap, but we can also sort of look at the player types that will have value as we get closer to the mm-hmm. deadline. In conversation with Jonathan Wall here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. A few more minutes. And, you know, an- another thing to uh, to keep our eyes on over the summer are not RFAs, but players who are eligible for extensions. Of course, here in Vancouver, that's Elias Pettersson. But around the league, Sebastian Ajo, Austin Matthews, Elias Lindholm in Calgary. Some really high-profile uh, players and centers in particular is, from a team's perspective, are you motivated to wait and see what the kind of, you know, the, the comparable contracts come in and then maybe you get down to business with a high-profile player like that? Or is there an incentive to get ahead of the market? How do you navigate that situation where you know there's going to be some similar players who could potentially get deals and that could have a big impact on how the negotiation with your own player goes? I, I mean, I think the thing to, to sort of reiterate a little bit and is – you know, it, it takes two parties to make a contract. And I think, you know, it's easy to say, well, we want to do a long-term or we want to do a bridge, or this is what we really, like, this is the best thing. But ultimately the agents are looking at it on the other side saying, what's the best thing for our player? So, you know, everyone has their own priority. Uh, some, some players want to wait and see what the team's, what the team's looking like, see what direction they're taking. If there's a new coach or maybe, you know, a coach on the last year of his deal, GM on the last year of his deal. I think there's some, you know, some waiting on the player side there. Um, I, I just think right now in the system, it just feels like everyone, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people are just being cautious. They're just, you know, we, we had some predictions that the salary cap was going to go up sooner. Um, there is predictions that it is going to go up next year, but, you know, maybe with some of the, the TV deals and some of the issues some teams are having with that, like maybe some teams are just like, we got to just wait a little bit and see, you know, see how the season starts out or, you know, or the agents are just wanting to wait and see what it's going to look like. Um, the agents don't want to sign a player, you know, to a deal thinking it's going to be, the cap's going to go up 3 million and it goes up 7 million and they've left a ton of money on the table either. So, you know, it, it's easy to say the team should do this or the team should do that. The team may want to do it, but the other side has to want to do it as well. 
John, the Canucks, and I just want to give you the context before asking a general question, but the Canucks have 46 contracts. Niels Hoaglander uh, has been qualified and is an RFA, so functionally 47. And, you know, you, you sort of look up and down the roster, and there's probably uh, the need for at least, like, another, you know, depth guy in that sort of Sheldon Dries, Nick Patan, Andrew Ebbett tier of players to go um, with a cornucopia guys across, you know, 15 years of Canucks history with, <laughs> with, with, I remember a lot of those guys <laughs> with regards to, with regards to how important contract slot flexibility is, especially this early in the off season, how do, what, what factors beyond the obvious for, for, you know, a fan looking at a cap friendly page, do teams need to be aware of in sort of charting, um, how much they can sort of take on in terms of additional bodies here. Well, if I could just step sort of to the side a little bit here, just it made me laugh when you mentioned that because generally I remember with the Canucks, we would always do our team photo like really late in the season mm-hmm. and usually after the trade deadline. And then, you know, two or, three, two or three years later, you'd go back and look at the photos and try to be, try to remember who some of these people are and some of the players <laughs> are. And, and, and no, and, and really, because some of it is like, you've got a bunch of injuries. So you've got a late season call up and a guy plays two or three games. And then you don't, you, you didn't see him before. You don't see him after you've got a couple college players, maybe who were signed to one way deals at the end of their year. And then, you know, we're in the minors for the rest. So when you mentioned Ebbett and, you know, Patan and some of those guys, you just look back and think of, you know, someone's going to look at a team photo and, and no disrespect, like Josh Tevez is going to be in it. It's going to be like, mm. who, you know, who is this person? in this photo. Um, and even I remember going back, looking sometimes having to like try to find a list to try to remember who was with the team at that time. Um, but the contract one is a huge one. And, you know, the NHL, a lot of the CBA is just like, you know, they, they just have so many checks and balances on ways around this like circumvention around the system. So, you know, back in March and April, when everyone, you know, when, when people are getting really excited about all these college free agent signings and, got to sign this guy and got to sign that guy. And then all of a sudden you're at 47 contracts. You might need a depth piece here or there. You might have a draft play drafted player who has a great, you know, development camp, even though it's not a fully evaluative one, it might, you know, they might say, you know what, maybe we should keep this player in North America. Maybe we should sign him to go pro. And all of a sudden those numbers start to get close to 50 and you always want to leave room, you know, for trades, maybe to take on a contract. And then as you get through the year, you always, you know, you're looking at college free agents and draft related free agents that you're drafted players that you might want to sign late in the season. So, you know, you don't want to get yourself pinched in that contract number, but it feels like with, with the number of players on LTI for a lot of teams, there's a lot of teams that are near that, near that number because you've got, you know, two to three dead contracts on every team. Jonathan, we learn a lot every time we have you on today. No exception. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for doing this thank all year with us. Uh, have a great summer, and we'll uh, we'll check back in in the fall. Yeah, thank you, guys. I'll save room on the patio up here in, uh, in the Okanagan. <laughs> I look forward to it. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, hopefully we'll see you guys uh, before September, if not for young stars. Perfect. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Thanks, Appreciate guys. it. That okay. is Jonathan Wall, regular contributor here on Canucks Talk, and, of course, a longtime former member of the Canucks front office, breaking down some of the – 
Uh, you know, the more the nitty gritty of this, the mechanics of how you're managing things at this time of year. And of course, the 50 contract limit, not necessarily one that we think about all the time, but is something, especially at this time of year, I think, when you're looking at potentially, you know, going bargain hunting, when you're thinking about, do we want to bring guys in for PTOs? Would we be able to convert them if they impress? All of those types of considerations, right? That That's when the 50 contract limit really starts to, to impact you. Who's going to be on waivers? Yeah. Right? I mean... There's a lot of good players that get waived now in September, right? I'm you want to you want to patch up a blue line group. Mm-hmm. The waiver route has worked for you know the Eastern Conference champion uh, who've done it repeatedly. So yeah, no, it's a it's an interesting thing, and and I sort of think where the Canucks are positioned, like there's a meaningful takeaway from this, right? Which is that where the Canucks are positioned, you look at the market, you go look at like who's remaining, you go read whatever list of ten. 10 best free agents remaining, coming soon to the Athletic. <laughs> um, probably only one. The Canucks can probably only responsibly yep. do one without first shedding a deal in, in some manner. Yeah, and I mean, even that, are like... How are you shedding a deal without taking a contract back at this point? Very difficult really to do. Really tough. Right? And I don't even just mean in terms of matching the the salary cap figures. I just mean literally in terms of taking a contract slot back. It's very, very difficult to see how that's going to happen. So that is, at this point for the Canucks, a pretty meaningful constraint right now. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, lots of great text to get into. We should do just a little update on the Elias Pettersson front. His agent was on uh, with Donnie and Dolly. So we'll talk about that a little bit, then get back into the inbox. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance. Live from the Kintech studio, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Somebody texted in earlier about peak off-season summer sports radio content, and I will say the debate happening in the uh, 650 bullpen right now is, do you prefer the ocean, lakes, or rivers. It's a good one. That's that's the debate. So I, see, I think that's a good one. to get everyone clued in on what, what you're going to hear over the next couple of months here. I, I think there's a wrong answer. Okay. All right. If you pick... So the, I'll, I'll go first. Okay. I would choose the ocean. I'm okay with ocean or lake. I think there are positives and negatives to both. Sure. Okay. So there's a majesty to the ocean. Yes. That a lake can't match. But if you're boating, you want to be on a lake uh-huh. because it's far calmer, mm-hmm. like far calmer. If you're going to spend a day on a boat, you know, it's hard to beat a, a lake because you're not getting rocked about the way you would in the ocean. See, I just want to, like, go look at the ocean, be impressed by how big it is, listen to the waves at night. You know, if you got a place close sure, to the ocean, that's nice. like do some beach combing, walk along the beach, which you can't always do at a lake, right? It doesn't have the same like big expanse of sand. Well, it depends what lake it depends is. Depends what lake, but you're more likely to get it at the ocean. That's my yeah, kind of itinerary. Also, it depends where what ocean you're at. No, that's not true. There's sand beaches at lakes. There's sand beaches at oceans. It's not the same. No, nah, I mean, I'm <laughs> look. I'm I'm okay with both. I'm okay with both. They both have, but the, to to claim sand for the ocean is ridiculous. Like some of the. I nicest- didn't say sand. I just mean like uh, I I just find it at lakes. It's often like there's a little strip of beach and then it's like forested you can't walk along the edge as much but it depends like you're you know there's a very different experience walking the sandbar out at spanish banks versus walking you know the the riviera 
in uh, in France that's where true. you're walking on pebbles and stuff. That's I mean, true. it's totally different. Like it just depends on and and realistically, you're talking about like an inlet, a sea. Like we, we there's subdivisions. But see, here. those are those are all just under the umbrella of, of ocean. ocean. I agree with you. Yeah. Lakes though have the advantage of being warmer generally. Sure. Calmer for boating. Mm-hmm. And there is something that's still like romantic in that like Bob Cajun, you know, style of of being able to like see the other side and like the quaint cottages yes. and like cottage country. Yeah, there's yeah. something there's something that appeals to me romantically about that even though the majesty of the ocean as a Vancouverite, right, will always have a certain nostalgic appeal. But that's like saying white spots better than um, in and out. It's like cuz you grew up with one. No, that's not why. I just like I like the like the w- the ocean yeah. feels more wild. Nostalgia. To me. You know what I mean? And you're a wild man? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> No, but it's nice. It's like it's like I don't know. There's a real. You said majesty. I think that's right. There's like some grandeur to it. You know what I mean? You're what? really like yeah. Who, who this picked is the a ocean. river though? Who picked a river? Uh, I don't know if anybody picked the river. Cam Barrett came out strongly against rivers. Yeah, he hates rivers. Well, I don't. I mean, that's a little much. But like Lynn, <laughs> Lynn Canyon, Lynn Canyon's super nice. Oh Great no, to there's spend some really nice there. rivers. It's just you don't really like go there as a like multi-day attraction like you'd never be you can be like hey i'm going to the lake for the weekend or hey we got a place on the ocean on the beach for for a week you're not like i'm going to the river no but there's some places where you'd say some stuff like that just they're just more inland than what we're used to we also mentioned that waterfalls fall under the river category yes they're a part of river Uh, so that helps their case (laughs) um does it have you never bathed in a waterfall before what? <laughs> you never bathed in a waterfall? I don't know. I wouldn't dumb, call it bathing. Dumb. I've swam in a waterfall. I wouldn't say I bathed in a waterfall. It's quite refreshing. What are you talking about? Oh man. I'm about sticking to the rivers and the lakes like to. I used to. Cuz I don't want no scrubs like you, dumb. Uh <laughs> sick TLC references. I'm no nurse. <laughs> Wow, wow, deep cut. (laughs) Uh, I love this text. You found a third TLC song to reference? Who does that? Uh, (laughs) I'm actually impressed. This text is the ocean, of course. Lake lake is an eastern bias talking. They do love their lakes in Ontario. They do, but like Lake Cowichan, (laughs) Lake Okanagan, what are you talking about? No, there's some great lakes in BC, I'm mostly thinking about... BC Lake. The Okanagan, Shushwap, like the big ones yeah. even, you know what I mean? Well, and like Lake, Lake Cowichan's one of the prettiest parts of this province. I highly recommend you experience some BC Lakes if you're trying to tar me with that maple leafstem um, on, on my lake preference. Uh, this guy says, man, sometimes you city people are funny, lakes and rivers all day because they're in the middle of nowhere. I love having the lake to ourselves for a whole week. You can, like, you have to work for it a little bit, but you can be on an ocean that's very, very secluded, an ocean beach that is very, very secluded. It, you can get away from it all on the ocean as well, if that's your priority. You can. I mean, you just got to drive a little out of your way, but that's vast. fine. You know, it's not. It, you, the rule for having, like, a family place or, like, a summer place or something like that is if it takes you more than three hours to get to, you're not going to use it. Mm. But I'm talking, like, a one-off. I'm not talking to buy a place. Well, but, I, I mean, that you have to factor, too, in, like, can it be part of my, like, routine? Sure. And I'm just saying ocean gets dinged on that if you if you prefer remoteness. He's right. That's a good point. Uh, have you ever been on a river in a jet boat? It's awesome. I can't say that I have. I, I, I've gambled on a river. Um, a riverboat gambler? <laughs> I've gambled on a river. Riverboat rod um, over here. I also have floated down a river. Someone said if you haven't floated down a river, you guys need to try it. Um, 
obviously I've uh, done that. Penticton. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a Lazy river. plus for river right Look, there. I'm not saying there's a, nothing to are you, do. Like, are you the river good about selectors? rivers? No, no I, I just I, I'm just trying to provide balance. No, uh, there's no need to okay. provide balance on rivers. Okay, we're tough. we're being negative because rivers deserve it. I'm not being negative about rivers. I'm just saying it would be third on my pecking order. If rivers just would draft upside and clear <laughs> cap space, we'd have positive things to say about them. If they would just stop flowing and develop into a lake <laughs> just stop flowing <laughs> why are you always in such a rush to get to the ocean just be a lake <laughs> no but you can have like a nice afternoon at a river but again as a destination as a vacation destination i don't i'm not entirely sure about that it's like a nice feature somewhere a river you know what i mean yeah exactly like even even penticton the example you're not going for the river it's something, you're going for the lake it's something you do while you're near the lake yeah exactly yeah, I mean, Lake Louise. It's not River Louise. Exactly. That's right. Uh, this text comes in. We have a place on the Sunshine Coast, remote lake and ocean beaches. Yeah, that means the Sunshine Coast is I, the I'm, best. I'm going to the Sunshine Me Coast too. next week. Oh, oh no. where are you going? What? No, not next week. <laughs> okay, Don't worry. Good. Uh, where are you going? Uh, outside Powell River. Oh, love it. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a wedding there in August. So, But I always have a great time. Shout out to my boy Gurjeet, by the way, who, who helped me out in a tough situation. That would have been very funny if we were... <laughs> like shows off. See you in September, Drance. It's like see each other in the ferry line, <laughs> bump into each yeah. other. So, so when I went to uh, the last time I went to the Sunshine Coast, I got some I got some Sunshine Coast stories. It was the weekend that the border had opened following COVID. I went, okay. I went for my buddy's birthday, and my mom has a van with California plates, and I thought I'll take this so that we can all go up together, mm -hmm. like six of us, to the to the place we've rented. And my car got like keyed. My mom's car got keyed on they the thought ferry. You were, yeah, because they thought we were like going to a remote area of the province from yep. California. So someone keyed it with like with like go home. That's not great. <laughs> That's not great. Not a good look. Not a good look. Uh, but you know, it was our fault for blasting California love in the ferry line. <laughs> uh, really drew a little too much attention to ourselves, given the sensitivity. And then also we were out at Thormanby. By the way, do you know about Buccaneer Bay? I don't know that I do. You should while you're there charter a water taxi. Ooh. There's a so Thormanby is two islands, mm -hmm. very close together. Think mm -hmm. of like New Zealand in miniature. Okay, sure. <laughs> and done. And there is a sandbar that forms and connects the islands that is like absolute white sand beach, like Australia mm -hmm, mm -hmm. quality beach. Uh, you know, a, a hour drive from Powell River and then and then you got to charter a water taxi there and back. Unbelievable. Honestly one of the nicest places in this province. And we were out there and and I went for a swim and um before I jumped in the water I think I said something like no regrets and then I lost my keys. So you did have one regret to both the car and the rental cabin. Oof. It was a scene. It was, a, it was a bad time. That's tough. I, I figured it out, but it was it was you know an hour stressing stressing out on my phone before uh, I figured it all out. Fish dancer says river waters are pristine. Tubing down a river, the landscape is incredible. Lakes, gross, dirty. Oceans, gross. That's where we store our poo. Plus, they have weird <laughs> creatures. Y'all are out to lunch. That's our fish dancer. What do you mean river is clean? Like what rivers? Well, it's flowing water. It's not standing water. Yeah, I but get it's, that. There's they they're so rarely blue like if it's so clean why is it always brown no there's beautiful streaming like pristine streaming rivers with you know the, the yeah you just can't name any of them glacial smilkamine yeah we're not talking like industrial rivers we're not talking like the fraser the river Nile. go for a dip in the fraser now, this is in michigan trance yeah. 
Rivers are so clean. Go for, go for a drip in the Thames, <laughs> the Thames in London. Like, come People on. People do that. Yeah, I guess, but uh, we're talking more remote. More remote than that. Uh, anyways, you can keep texting in. 650, 650. Friday draft. We should draft Rivers. Bodies of water. But there's only real three. There's only really three. I can come up with a fourth. Those are the, the big three, I'll call them, of uh, bodies of water. Rivers, lakes, oceans. Everything else is just a subcategory of those. Yeah, just like a creek is a subcategory of It's just a smaller river. river. Yeah. yeah, it's just a smaller river. This is obvious. Like a pond is a lake, right? Yeah, a pond is just a smaller lake. Small lake. Yeah, a bay is just part of the ocean. Yeah, an Anyways, inlet. Yeah, yeah, this is obvious. We Self-explanatory. We, we get it. Man. Uh, I did want to mention just quickly. But a here. waterfall is a river. It it's is. Part of a it river. It's part of a river. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it is. It's a fact. It's its own thing. <laughs> it's not its own it thing. It doesn't stand alone, Drance. Why does it not stand alone? Often a waterfall falls into a larger body of water, usually a lake or a, a river. No, because like, no, I disagree. Because a river is continuous. I actually think I actually think there's grounds think, to contest. You think waterfall is a, four, is a fourth here. thing? Is, is the, uh, the fourth body of water? The sleeper of the Maybe. draft. Maybe. Interesting. No, but you can't, waterfall is overrated. A hundred percent. Like the whole, like you said, we're like, oh, you've never been ba- bathing in a waterfall for some reason, you said, instead of swimming. It's, it's like. Semantics. <laughs> I've done that. And it's like, okay, it's cool. But you're still just swimming. You know what I mean? People make way too big a deal out of it, right? Like, oh, I want to swim under a waterfall. It's like, eh, I don't know. It's nice. It's, it's cool, but it's not It's not this like life-changing experience. It's definitely overrated. Dom's going to be, Dom's soon going to be like, and whirlpools belong to swamps. No. And I'm a big swamp guy. Big swamp guy. <laughs> Actually, if you look out at the Fraser River, there's a lot of whirlpools. So. Right. Okay. It's a river thing. <laughs> well, it's definitely not a swamp thing, man. I was just making fun of you. <laughs> uh, anyways. Hey, let's not get bogged let's down. Let's not get bogged down. No, we wouldn't want to do that. Yeah. Um, people have takes, though. Oh, yeah, man. People love this stuff. This is this is why this is actually why we all joke about it, right? Like, oh boy, it's gonna be tough to find stuff to talk about in the summer. So easy. It's actually great because you just do whatever. And people aren't like people aren't like, why aren't you talking about the game last night? Because there was no game last night. It's great. But <laughs> also, but also, they're kind of like there is a development game tonight. Like, I'm gonna go to the rink this evening and, mm-hmm. and put on a Patagonia fleece and <laughs> take it all in. Um, and and still, we've chosen to talk about tiers of gambling odds. Uh huh. Playing NBA basketball against NBA players and failing miserably for uh-huh. money, and lakes versus rivers versus swamps, yeah, versus the ocean. It's great. Someone, someone texted in. Do you know any good estuaries? Yeah. Y'all know any good estuaries? <laughs> an estuary is the ocean. Whoa! Or is it a river? Or a river though? meets an ocean. Yeah, I would call an est. Uh, okay. Or is the delta the river and the, the estuary is the ocean? The, I don't even know the, the difference. Moment... I'm out of my depth here. <laughs> depth, nice. Yes. Um. <laughs> the moment the moment the river ends and becomes a larger body of water, surely it becomes the ocean. Otherwise, you're saying but there's like a, there's otherwise inherent... you're saying that Manhattan is on the river, which it's not. Yes, it is. It's on they, on the they, Hudson on the Hudson River, famously on the Hudson, Hudson River, Hudson Bay. No, it's on the Hudson. Hudson it's an Bay estuary. Is a, Hudson Bay is that's a, nice to go back. You, I don't think Manhattan is in Hudson Bay. <laughs> I got confused. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the Hudson River. I think you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyways, um, I'm I'm like okay, googling right. estuary now. You're right. Yes. Thank you. But anyways, oh, my like bad. my point is, there's an inherent um, like I don't think you can draw 
a boundary and say on this side of it, on this side of the estuary is river and this side is ocean. I think you can. There's like an inherent ambiguous zone no, like, where the where the freshwater meets the, the saltwater. I, I right and somebody it, who's a geographer text in. But sorry, but this. sorry, isn't that doesn't that usually produce like a visual effect? Yeah, you're probably right. It From does. like a like satellite photo. It's literally there's literally a line. And then also, um, you know, no one picks rivers, so rivers has the borders drawn unfavorably. The power of the ocean overwhelms it. It just is what it is. Very good. Uh, just somebody texted in, Jamie hasn't been to the right waterfalls. I mean, I don't know. I, I was I was in Costa Rica. It was beautiful. You got to, like, hike into the forest or the jungle off the beach. It was great. I'm not saying it was a bad experience. I'm not saying I regret it. It's just not what people make it out to be. I just uh, I just remembered one more body of water that we haven't mentioned, a cenote. That's like the underground cave, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, good, no thank you. Good contribution. No thank you for me. <laughs> good contribution, thanks. Thanks for getting on the mic, Tom. <laughs> and stalactites point up. Uh, okay. Uh, it's a got... Mexican tourist attraction. Come on. The cenote? Do you have to, like, scuba into the cave? No, 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 no. You walk you just down. like, okay, you walk down. Because I would say I would have no no interest in that whatsoever. Like, diving into a cave, an underwater cave, not for me. No, thank you. You're not a big spelunker? Uh, no. Spelunking is just like exploring a cave, right? I've done that. That was pretty cool. Carlsbad Caverns in Oregon. That was cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say spelunking requires a jump. The exploration of caves. Actually, you're right. My bad. I always thought of spelunking as, as, as jumping. Racking up the winds today. You are. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> This is strong. Strong stuff for me right now. <laughs> yeah, you're going to keep the conversation on this That's topic. right. That's right. Um... <laughs> keep keep it flowing. Alan Calgary says, I did an intro to geography class, and this conversation has uh, surpassed all of the info I gained from that class. <laughs> we're, we're into advanced geography right here. Um, okay, I did just want to mention really quickly, it's kind of a, a non-update update, but J.P. Barry was on uh dolly and donnie or donnie and dolly i don't know why i always do that because i'm giving credit to dolly wall for the report but he was on donnie and dolly on check tv today uh just obviously talking about elias Pettersson's contract situation says we had initial talks slow of late we will pick up later in the summer elias is happy in vancouver and likes the city we will continue to talk so Again, very much a, a non-committal update either way, not throwing gasoline on the fire, not saying it's definitely going to get done, just, hey, he likes it here, and we'll talk yeah. at some point, which shouldn't be a surprise. That's that's kind of where it stands until we hear I'm just, something else. I'm just glad we have it from an official source so I don't have to keep saying, you know how I always say it, and then caption it with, like, my understanding is <laughs> he likes the city and enjoys living here. You know, Right. Like, we can say now his agent has gone on record. He Elias likes Pettersen it here. We all know Vancouver. it. Yeah. So now yes. we can, so that, you know, that's meaningful for just me and me alone i don't think anyone else says stuff like that but <laughs> congratulations <laughs> to you, you. Congratulations i've said it a i've said you. it and written it like 25 times in discussing the mechanics of this extension yeah and i do think it's the kind of thing where and i know they were talking about it on halford and bruff this morning you know how concerned are you right and for me it's very at this point it's baked in that i don't think we're going to get a surprise you know, we wake up on August 3rd and Elias Pettersson signed, has signed an extension. Like, I don't think that's coming. I think it's more of a, a stretch goal would be nice to have at this point. I also don't think it's something to be greatly concerned about if he doesn't sign by training camp. The one thing, and I, I touched on this a little bit when we had Jonathan Wall on, the one thing I am curious about is 
if a Sebastian Ajo extension gets done, which it sounds like it could sooner rather than later. I know Jeff Merrick mentioned that on one of his final shows mm-hmm. of the year. Because to me, that's just such a strong comp in a lot of ways for Elias Pettersson. Right now, I know Pettersson had much higher point totals yeah. this year, but in terms of young, clear-cut, first-line center, two-way value, if that deal gets done in a way that – you know, because it could always get done in a way that's adverse for Pedersen or a way that's adverse for the Canucks. But if both sides see something to build on in the Ajo extension, that's the one thing I'm kind of curious about. Does that spur a little movement? So the way to look at it, because I've brought up the Ajo Matthews comps, right? And the fact that those deals could get done before you shape your own with Pedersen if you wait over the course of the summer. And I think this is one that's going to be really tough to do short term because of the mechanics of the of the cap rising, mm-hmm. um, you know, out of the control of either party, I think it's really hard to come to a valuation on what Pedersen should make, given the rarity of his profile and, you know, the the fact that, I mean, how do you project what the cap's going to look like in five years? Like, what's a fair deal for, for a player if he's going to forsake having more certainty and having those conversations a year from now, which, but when, by the way, he's still an RFA. Mm-hmm. Like, his situation's not even going to be materially different a year from now. So why rush given all that we don't know about where the cap is going? I bring up Matthews and Aho as comps more because they're guardrails than they are actual comps, mm. right? Like Matthews, when that deal's done, is the high end will set something rail. of a ceiling. Yeah. yeah. And Aho will set something of a floor. Now, whether that's fair or not, because I think the gap in actual quality of player between Aho and Pedersen's probably a lot narrower than Canucks fans realize especially because no one in Carolina puts up more than 75 points. Mm-hmm. I think Nekash did it once. Um, but Ajo's truly one of the great top-line two-way centermen in our, in our game today. And again, just like age range and two-way yep. ability and all of that, yep. right? Again, I get the points totals you, you makes put, it a little different, but like those are pretty close. In terms of value and career situation and all of that, that's about as close as you're getting. But the score, like, you put Ajo in an environment where defense is optional, like yes. it was for the Canucks at times last year, and you're going to see a totally different level of production, in my mind. Um, but that doesn't really matter. It's hard to make that argument to an arbitrator or, well, or, or in, even in, to in a, a negotiation, yeah. right? Like, the, the fact is, is that Pedersen's points per game are going to blow Ajo's out of the water. And his platform year, like his production in the year uh, off of whenever he signs his contract, is is likely to, too, provided that he doesn't get hurt this upcoming season. And, and sort of that's where, you know, th- this is going to be a really tricky one. And, and as we prepare to break for, for the summer, you know, I, I will be 0% surprised if we're back talking about this in September. No, I, not at all. I think it's a really tough negotiation to get done and to put you know to manufacture urgency on this matter is to is to misunderstand it right like the Canucks should take a run at getting this deal done this summer and they will like they're going to do their best and you know provided that that deal isn't like a knockout punch TKO wow you know it's going to be pretty hard to make the sort of offer where Pedersen's camp again because you're you're probably expecting four million in cap growth mm-hmm. beyond the expiry of his deal, maybe a little bit more, and then a potential escalator season beyond that, especially if the economy's decent. Yep. If the RSN thing gets figured out with too, out too much damage and on and on, I mean, we could see, you know, 
um, like, do you want to sign? Do you want to sign at flat cap rates? Yeah. If if and Arizona the, relocates to a real market in right. there, right, and like yeah. get, has a you know kind of Vegas Seattle type impact on on the revenues. So and and I mean, what happens if what happens if like if you're Pedersen, what you and and more importantly, if you're Pedersen's advisors, what you have to be conscious of is, do you want to sign a contract off of flat flat cap market values or flat cap sort of market prices? Um, where the second year of that deal exists in a ninety million dollar cap world, I mean, yeah, you know, it, there's a, there's a reason you pay lawyers and representatives to advise you, right? Is you pay them to have a good sense of this sort of thing, um, and to and to advise you rationally, and and this is a particularly complicated one, especially if you're manufacturing the idea that like uh, the the pressure of will it get done this summer. Maybe, maybe, and and I'm sure both sides will try at least to some extent, but it's a really complicated one to do this early in the process. Uh, I did want to wrap up on our earlier ridiculous conversation, right? Pro things you could do at a pro level or a major league event. Somebody texted in. I think this is a good one. This is the best one that I've heard. Could you catch a fly ball in a major league baseball game? Because the thing is, like, I can catch a fly ball if it's hit really close to me. I'm not covering ground, oh, but yeah, yeah. sometimes the ball is hit directly to an outfielder. I think I could do that. Like that's not meaning that meaningfully different. What, what percent of the time? Yeah. Do you have sunglasses? Where's the sun? <laughs> and I mean, I will say there's always one thing are you always you being, have to factor. Are is, you being heckled? I hurtfully. was just gonna say, right? You're in an environment where there's tens of thousands of people watching you, right? There's the pressure factor that you're not used to. So yeah, you're I've like, caught lots of fly balls in my life, but not in that environment. Yeah, you're like squaring up the ball and some Yahoo in the crowd like cups their mouth and yells at you like it's been a long road trip and your wife's lonely and you're like oh my god <laughs> drop it <laughs> so mean how dare they <laughs> how dare they I'm just I saying mean, hey, that would get, throw you off your game we get heckled in the inbox all the time so that's true <laughs> i'm a little used to it but I it's guess. not verbal it's no, different it's in verbal. person it's different that's the only one i can think of though where the physical gap between me and professional athletes doesn't come into play in the same way. You know what I mean? As it does in almost any other of these scenarios. Somebody, somebody texted in, I could ice the puck for a million dollars. I was oh. like, I don't know if I could. I don't. You can get there. You know what I mean? You I could get collect there. the puck and then with enough velocity that it doesn't get knocked down or yeah. intercepted all the way down no, the yeah, ice. You couldn't get there. Like, I don't think I could. You couldn't. You you the. The difference in speed between how they are moving and you yeah. is is wide. And that's not even a positive play. That's not even like a good thing to accomplish. I, I want to suggest before we go, by the way, the thing I'd least like to try as a normie mm -hmm. in terms of an athletic feat, and it's it's the long-distance ski jump. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I'd literally die. It would be tough. Yeah. I would die. I mean, high, high risk I mean, of like, bodily injury there. You try the NBA one, it's like, well, that was embarrassing, and you go about your life. But you do the ski jump one, like, I, I don't think I'd come back from that. Uh, and I, we will leave on this uh, text from Steven. He says, the group of seven famously painted reflections of the New York skyline lights on the waters of Hudson Bay. This <laughs> <laughs> is a great text. That's, that's my favorite Tom Thompson. A great text. Who, of course, was not a member of the group of seven. Indeed. A great text from <laughs> Steven. We'll be back tomorrow. It is Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650.